Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I am your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Happy Ascension Day. We gather this day on the 40th day after Jesus rose from the dead. He revealed himself to many people those 40 days, showing that it was not a spiritual resurrection, but it was a physical resurrection. And he physically rose to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And Ephesians says it so well. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name, a name that is above every name, and everything is under his feet. This is ascension, and in that joy and knowing our Lord reigns over all things, we put on our Christ goggles as we study First Kings chapter 14. The word of our Lord has come to Jeroboam, even shriveling up his hand, but long term, he doesn't repent. What are the implications of this lack of faith, and what can we learn from it? Let's dig in this morning. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Pastor Eckstein, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, great to be here. So, Pastor, what's happening for you and the saints in Jamestown? Oh, things are are moving forward. Uh, We're we're slowly uh, recovering from the whole COVID thing. Uh, In fact, um, uh, a week from Sunday, we're going to actually go back to our normal schedule uh, of two services on Sunday. We've been doing three to, to accommodate for, you know, social distancing. Uh, but uh, uh, we're starting to get uh, more attendance and restrictions are being laxed. And so uh, we're going to go back to, to, to two services uh, on the 23rd Wonderful. and uh, still encourage masks, but they're not required. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, but uh, it, it's just nice to see people uh, being, you know, uh, uh, less, you know, restricted. Uh, of course, I realize there's other parts of the country and especially other uh, nations where things aren't that way. But uh, we thank God for, for the you know, relief we've been getting here. So, Absolutely. And that, is, and that is a true joy. We're seeing that in Minnesota as well. But once again, it points us to prayer. You know, we have Ascension Day today. Do you have an Ascension service? No, no, no we do not. Yeah, and and that's something that our church uh, we celebrated the next Sunday, and some congregations celebrated tonight, and my father even celebrated it last Sunday. I didn't know that was legal. I don't know how that all works, but uh, <laughs> but it's something. Ascension is a great time for us to remember our Lord reigns on high, and we lift up our prayers to Him, and we know that He hears and answers them, not only for us but also around the world as our churches gather in His name. Pastor, I wanted to highlight one other. Um, one, something else a highlight for you, I believe. I just saw uh, posted yesterday that you have a new book, a, a book, a booklet. I think is how you define it, called "A Biblical Response to Homosexuality." Uh, that that just recently come out. It's just brand new. You know, Concordia has these set of booklets called "A Biblical Response to," and they have various subjects that that they deal with. And uh, their newest one that I, I wrote is on uh, homosexuality. So if you go to cph.org, uh, the webpage from Concordia Publishing House, and just type in a biblical response to homosexuality, it should come up. Uh, you can order them now. Uh, they're not going to be ready to actually ship out until June, 
uh, but but it's brand new, uh, pretty much going to be hot off the press. And it, it's a booklet, about 30 pages, so it, it's not as thorough as the book I wrote, uh, but but it, but it, it, it gets to the point uh, about what Scripture teaches on this issue with a lot of focus on the gospel. So I, I wrote this particular booklet, especially with the idea that you could give this to somebody, um, uh, and, and especially if they're not real familiar with Christianity or the heart of the gospel— uh, this book will, will uh, this little booklet will will focus on Christ and, and and all that He's done for us, so that this whole issue of sexuality and homosexuality is understood within the big picture of Christ and, and what He's done for us. That is wonderful. What a gift that is, and and your and your books, um, bearing their burden is a true gift as well. So I encourage our listeners to look up Pastor Eckstein and the books he's written on. Well, sexual brokenness is another term that I've I've heard, and you, you do such a great job of pointing people to Christ, pointing people to the truth of the scriptures. And I'll say this too for our listeners that this is a major, uh, this is a major subject on people's minds and hearts. Even though we might think it shouldn't be the foremost of their hearts and minds, obviously faith is our main concern. Other issues that clearly uh, show brokenness in the world, mental illness, and everything else. But this is really deep on people's hearts. As a track coach, um, I hear the subject quite a bit among young people and just wonderful young people. And this sometimes can over. Um, uh, it, just, it just overwhelms them thinking about it and trying yeah. to deal with it. And so something like this is a great resource for us that when we pray, the opportunity to share that here's something we can use for our own edification, but also for others. Um, any last thoughts on this? I, I think it's so important. That's why I wanted to ask you about it. Yeah, no, just it, 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 it's a great resource to have as well as the other biblical response books. I, you know, check those out at CPH mm, yep. there. You know, th- th- there's other, obviously, uh, you know, we talk about sexual brokenness, but we're all broken in a multitude of ways. And so, sure. you know, th- there's booklets that deal, there, there's a fairly new booklet also on transgenderism, which is another big, big hot button topic. Uh, they have uh, booklets on, on divorce. Uh, and, 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 and other issues, too, that are very common in our culture. But uh, give us the tools to, to um, uh, approach them in, in people's lives with, with the truth of Scripture, with the focus on Christ. And, and that's, uh, that, that's the important thing. Uh, you know, it, people changing their behavior doesn't mean anything unless they see the freedom and forgiveness and hope they have in Jesus. So that, that's the important thing to bring up. And I think that really relates with our text today. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, the situation, the, the problem was faith. The, the problem was how they saw the Lord and how they, um, how they lived in accordance with how they saw the Lord. And that's good for us to remember. And as you said, pointing our eyes back to Jesus. And so, Pastor, can you do that for us and, and begin our time in prayer? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Heavenly Father, on this Ascension Day, we, we celebrate the fact that your son who died and rose for us, is now reigning with you uh, over the whole universe. Uh, Heavenly Father, from, from a human point of view, we, we, we look at the world and we, we think that everything is out of control and, and that evil might have the upper hand, but we know the truth from Scripture. Uh, not only are you our creator and sovereign God, uh, but your Son who died and rose for us, uh, shed his blood for us, is now reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and, and even though we don't always understand uh, why he allows uh, uh, various trials and difficulties in this world, uh, the reality is uh, he reigns for us. We thank you for that. 
uh, no matter what we face in this world, uh, we have your Son on the throne, uh, our God and Savior, in whom we are forgiven, in whom we are loved, and in whom we have the certain hope of eternal life in the face of death itself. And, and we thank you that his ascension also reminds us that not only are you with us always, but that he will return visibly one day to set things right. And, and we live in that hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions uh, concerning our text today, First Corinthians, Corinthians, First Kings chapter 14, um, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor Eckstein, we are studying First Kings 14, and we just had a wonderful study yesterday on First Kings chapter 13 with Pastor Shank. And I, it was, I admit chapter 13 is a chapter I haven't really uh, studied much in, in, in my life, and it was a fascinating uh, context and everything else. But obviously, there's a lot more than just that. So do you have any um, uh, background or contextual themes that you wanted to highlight to help us out this morning? Well, uh, uh, just a couple things. Uh, first of all, you know it's interesting uh, that you mentioned First Kin- or First Kings thirteen. <laughs> um, yeah, First Kings thirteen. Um, yep. <laughs> I remember a couple years ago, my wife was having her devotion uh, during the day, and and she happened to be reading through this very chapter, First Kings thirteen. And I remember one of her questions to me was, she said, "You know, Tom." Um, I know this is God's word, and, and we just have to trust God's ways. But, you know, when I read this chapter, what, what happened to this man of God from Judah, it, it just doesn't seem fair. I mean, he, right. here he, he, he was, a, you know, apparently a faithful prophet, and I know God told him, don't eat, don't drink in this area. But then he meets another man of God who, who's supposedly a prophet of God, too, and says, oh, no, wait a minute, it, it, it's okay. Um, and, and, of course, the, the, the text says the prophet was lying, uh, but but the, the the man of God from Judah didn't know that, and of course we all know what happened to him. You know he ended up ends up being killed by a lion. And I said, you know, I emphasize with you, dear. You know, it it, it sometimes God's ways don't seem fair to us, uh, but this is where we have to step back and look at the bigger big, bigger picture. And and one thing we can take from First Kings. 13, is is this man from Judah, this prophet, had been told explicitly by God, uh, don't uh, eat, don't drink in this area, and go back by a different way. You know, spelled it out as plain mm-hmm. as it can be. And then uh, it's interesting, this other prophet then says, hey, an angel told me to do that you can do otherwise. And I remember when I read that, and I mentioned this to my wife, I says, you know, that almost kind of reminded me of what Paul says in Galatians. If I or an mm. angel from heaven should tell you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, you know, don't believe him. And so I think this is a good example of where, okay, uh, you have another prophet coming who claims to be from God, but he says he gives you a word that's in direct contradiction of the word that God did give you. Oh, boy, isn't that a lesson for us? We have that going on today all the time. You know, here we do have God's clear word to us in Holy Scripture, and yet we have many people who claim to speak in the name of God who are saying, no, 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 wait a minute. I think God is new, doing a new thing. Uh, you know, God is still speaking. You know, don't, don't place a period where God has placed a comma. You know, mm-hmm. you know uh, we, we can now look at this in a new way. And it's very tempting for us to go, well, you know, these people are claiming to speak 
for Jesus. And you know what they're saying is kind of appealing. You know, m- maybe we, we need to go along with it. And, and this is why I think we learned from 1 Kings 13 um, that, that, that uh, we have to go with, with the foundational revelation that God has given us. And when um, prophets who claim to speak for God uh, bring a word that's in conflict with that, we know that, that we are to refute it. And I think the way this applies to this context here, we see that, that both northern Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah end up being completely deceived by false gods, by, by idolatry. And uh, you wonder, how did that happen? Well, maybe because they started thinking, hey, um, sure, God has spoken to us through his prophets, but you know, a prophet's a prophet, a prophet, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's other prophets of these other gods. How do we know that what they're saying isn't true, too? You know, maybe we can make it all work together. And and so suddenly they didn't know what truth was anymore. Uh, everything seemed to be acceptable, and uh, it just went from bad to worse. That, that 13 definitely um, uh, flows over into 14 today because it's, kind of the same story, just not quite as obvious. And as Pastor Shank said yesterday, um, that, okay, well, that isn't fair. But if we really want to go down the fair route road, you know, this won't end well for any of us if we want to go fair. Right. So he was very clear on that. And it was a great study and another great review for us today. So I think I think we're ready. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right, let's get into this. We are reading, we are studying 1 Kings chapter 14. Reminder to our listeners as well that we are reading from the English Standard Version. And we'll start in verses 1 through 3. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it, <laughs> that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah, the prophet, is there. Who said of me that I should be king over this people? Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Kind of a kind of a strange beginning to this. Uh, how would you break this down? Well, um, at, at this point, uh, you have to realize that that even though earlier in First Kings eleven, uh, this prophet uh, Ahijah had told Jeroboam that, hey, you're going to end up with 10 of the tribes, um, and, and uh, the, 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 uh, they'll be handed over to you. And, uh, and then you, you might, if you go back and look at 1 Kings 11, Ahijah is very clear to Jeroboam, if, big word, if you follow in the ways of the Lord, um, you will be blessed. God will bless your reign. Well, by the time we get to 1 Kings 14 here, uh, Jeroboam has not done that. Jeroboam has compromised God's word every which way but loose. And I believe at this point, Jeroboam realizes, hey, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Ahijah uh, knows what's going on. And, uh, you know, and now he, he needs help with his son. So he's planning to send his, his wife to the prophet, wondering if he can get some maybe special insight from this prophet of God. Uh, to help his son, but he's thinking, well, wait a minute, if if Ahijah knows that this is my wife, and he knows what I've been doing, he's probably not going to want to help us, and mm-hmm. so I want to send her to him in disguise and see if, if in that 
uh, way she can get some special insight from him on how to help our son. Now, of course, this whole thing, uh, uh, this whole plan is foolishness from the get-go on Jeroboam's part because what he should be doing, is, rather than trying to pull a fast one on God's prophet, he should be repenting, asking God to forgive him, and, 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 you know, and, and going to the prophet with that kind of heart, uh, but he's not. And uh, so that's uh, basically how things are being set up at this point. You, you have Jeroboam, who, who still, even with his son being ill, is playing games with God. And I find it interesting, too, how it, it is confusing at first, and you said this very well, with disguise. Well, you know, he knows that something isn't quite right in order for him to have to do that, that he isn't quite doing what is correct in the eyes of the Lord, let alone he's built altars to, to false gods. He's made sure that people don't go to Jerusalem, to the temple to worship, that he creates his own up in, up in Dan and Bethel and, and golden calves. I mean, it's just like the list of lists of idolatry that you have in all of the Bible, really. And, and it's interesting to me how, yeah, I mean, this would be an opportunity for him to say, all right, let's go to the temple. Let's pray this thing out. Let's go back to the, the true God of Yahweh who gave me these 10 tribes. Um, but he just doesn't do that once again. And it's a lack of faith. Uh, so right. any, any other thoughts on these first three verses? Well, as far as how it applies to us, you know, it's, sure. it, we have to be very careful when we read the Bible, whether we're, we're thinking about the the you know, the, the man from Judah in 1 Kings 13, or whether we're thinking about Jeroboam here in 1 Kings 14, you know, it, it's tempting for us to say, oh boy, what a bunch of losers. You know, <laughs> if only I had, if only I had been there, you know, right. but we have to think about, you know, when I read this, I get convicted. I, I, I remember when I was reading through 1 Kings 13 yesterday and kind of in preparation to get a bigger context for this. And I thought, you know, <laughs> How many times I know what the clear, clear word of God is, just like the man of Judah knew what the clear word it was, you know, don't eat, don't drink, go back by another way. We have the clear word of God in the Ten Commandments, mm. you know, and yet how many times haven't we sinned against them? Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I am no better. I'm no better than Jeroboam. Um, you know, maybe he's set up a bunch of pagan gods, but, you know, as Luther teaches, anything you really love and trust in more than the Lord is, is a God for you. Well, uh, in light of that, how many false gods have we not bowed down to in our lives, whatever they may be? And so when we read this chapter, rather than, you know, looking at it going, oh, you know, what a jerk, if only he had been more like me. No, no, this is really a call to repentance in our own lives. Uh, we are to, uh, this is a reminder, hey, except by the grace of God, there go I, you know, God be merciful to me, a sinner, help me to be faithful to you. Yeah, we do. And that's, that's so, so good, too, because we can easily look at them and go, oh, how dare them. And if we were in the same situation, what would we do? Which points us to repentance. It's much like I heard one pastor describe it to me. It's kind of like you're standing before the Lord and you say you're standing next to Jeroboam. And you say, you know, Jeroboam made a lot of mistakes, and I made a lot of mistakes, but his are worse because he actually, you know, made golden calves. I just, I just made my different calves that never written down. No one really knew about them or something. You can just imagine God going, "Yeah, please, Brady, come in." Compared to him, you're so much quote better. <laughs> so yeah. it definitely is a humbling reality. So let's move on. Verses four through five. Four through five. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. 
And Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord Yahweh said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. I just want to go through this short section here because here's Ahijah, um, who is obviously, it doesn't really tell us much about him, but he obviously is a faithful prophet. Um, and right. this is kind of counter what we're hearing in other parts of, of Scripture so far. So any thoughts on Ahijah and the Lord coming to him? It's real simple, but any thoughts? Just that, you know, here, uh, here's an example of where, you know, a, a prophet is being faithful to God, which was a rarity, sadly, mm-hmm. at the time in history, there were many false prophets. But but here we see, uh, this is an example of where, where God continues to be merciful, e- even in the midst of, of so much um, unbelief and, and compromise and rebellion against God, God in his mercy still allows the truth to remain. Uh, sadly, uh, people, many people don't accept it back in this day, but, but the fact, the very fact that there's still a faithful prophet there who is speaking the truth is, is a mercy and a gift from God. And and I think of that in our own culture today, you know, where America has, has gone and, and all the problems we're having and, and, and the spiritual apathy that's infected our nation, uh, much of the false teaching that's being embraced. And affirmed, and yet God has not completely forsaken us. He still allows His truth to shine. Um, uh, sadly, some people don't uh, respond to it, but God still uh, lets it shine, so that that there is is hope for salvation. So this is a reminder that that even in the worst of times, God still allows His truth uh, to be available uh, for those who have ears to hear. And this is I mean, this goes right along with what you are writing about, um, is that there are the biblical responses that we have from Concordia, Concordia Publishing House. And if you were to watch, you know, certain things on TV or media, you would assume that, you know, what Pastor Eckstein is writing about, he, he's just on the wrong side of history. You know, he's, he doesn't understand the reality of what we're going through. But you just look up YouTube a little bit and show um, that subject and a biblical response and so forth, there are tons of people who are speaking very clearly about the truth of the scriptures from different yeah. denominations that we wouldn't always agree with. Um, but definitely the word of God is at work within our own church body and, and the, around the around the world. And, and there is always hope that, that there are faithful people out there. And we see that in Ahijah, that here he is. He's surrounded by idols everywhere, which we can relate to today. And he stood strong, and the Lord is with him, and the Lord will be with you to give you what you need in order to have a, a biblical response, like your booklet says. Um, so let's, let's, keep, uh, let's keep moving forward. Thank you for that insight on that. And then we get to hear more. Uh, the rest of the story with Ahijah and his wife, or Jeroboam's wife, 6 or 11. Um, okay. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. Excuse me, I missed that part before. Verse 6. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, as she came in the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore down the king, tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not, you have not been like my servant David, 
who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken. Well, that was not a great message um, for Jeroboam's wife um, to hear. No. <laughs> but what, well, what she, is... She... She's going to have go to go ahead. listen to Joel Olstein after that one. I mean, she, she needs to hear she's going to have her best life now. Exactly. <laughs> so what is what is he saying? I mean, and it's it, it, well, I'll say this reflection a little bit. Maybe Jeroboam knew that this was not going to end well. So he sends his wife instead of him having to hear the news. I mean, that was one thought I had as I was reading this, but we don't know that for sure. But what is what did Ahijah give the news to Jeroboam's wife? Well, you know, a couple things here. Uh, Ahijah is is making it clear. You know, you remember back in First Kings eleven, he did say, "Hey, if you're faithful to God, mm-hmm. um, things will go well. But if you don't, you know, well, so it's, it's Jer- uh, Jeroboam should have known in advance already. You know, okay, I I I rebelled. I'm uh, this shouldn't be a surprise. I shouldn't say what you know. What did I do to deserve this? Well, no, you know very well what you did to deserve this, and. And, and another thing, and again, this is where we, we have to, you know, just sit back and, and, and be at awe in the ways of God. Uh, even though God knows all things, uh, he still w- will give us judgments uh, in, in, in the hope of giving us a chance to repent. You know, you, you think of how, how when, uh, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh with a, with a, with a harsh message, and yet in their repentance, God relented. You know, um, so th- this could also be as harsh as this sounds. Uh, uh, this could also be uh, uh, an opportunity God is giving to Jeremiah to fall on his knees and repent. And, and who knows, maybe the Lord would have relented from this, but we know it doesn't turn out that way. The, the mm-hmm. point is, is that as Lutherans, we, we see these very, very harsh statements and we call it, you know, uh, uh, we, we look at this and, and we realize this is God's uh, strange or foreign way of dealing with us. In other words, he, he doesn't want to speak to us with harshness and judgment. But when he does, it's actually in service to the gospel. When he comes down hard, it's with the goal of raising us up uh, through repentance and faith. So even here, as harsh as these words are, God is being merciful. And then one other a little insight, I find it interesting you know, he says, you know, Jeroboam, if only you would have been like David, who always did my will and, mm-hmm. and followed me with his whole heart. Uh, and, I'm, you know, our first response is, oh, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> did the Lord forget about that Bathsheba thing, you know? Right. Uh, and I, I think, um, what does this tell us? Um, David was a sinner like everybody else, and he had, even though he did, by God's grace, was faithful, he had his major falls as well, but God doesn't mention that here. And why? Uh, He talks about David as though he was just absolutely perfect, and I I think this is a good example of how God sees us in Christ when we are standing before him in repentance and faith. Uh, Did David blow it? Yes. Mm -hmm. But 
did, was he brought to repentance? Yes. And isn't that beautiful that when we come to God with all of our ugly, gritty, slimy sins in repentance and faith in Christ, the blood of Christ washes us clean and God remembers it no more. So here, God doesn't even bring up David's fall. Uh, through Christ, David is his holy, pure child, and that's how God sees us, too, uh, it, it, through faith in Christ. As we said at the beginning, we put on our Christ goggles, and Pastor Eckstein pointed us to that once again. And we'll continue as we go move forward from chapter first, 11 of 1 Corinthians. I keep saying that. You said it, too, Corinthians, 1 Kings, <laughs> chapter 14, with Pastor Tom Eckstein, and we'll be right back. Thursday, May 13th, 2021, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsor, June Schwengel, a member of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Evansville, Indiana. June made a gift to KFUO in loving memory of her husband, Jim, who was born on this day in 1939. June is thankful to the Lord for the blessing that Jim was to her. Jim was called home to the Lord this past December, and June looks forward to seeing him again in the heavenly kingdom. Thank you, June, for being today's KFUO day sponsor. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis at 815 and Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne at 1045, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 14 with Pastor Tom Eckstein. And we received a question via email this morning, Pastor, and I think it's a good one because the, the significance of, of uh, Jeroboam's wife going to Shiloh, uh, where Ahijah was, is, is unique because that was a place where the tabernacle was, was let's see here, um, from Joshua's time until Samuel's time. And so he kind of asked, he asked the question here. Um, it seemingly had gone out of God's favor to place there, but is this kind of, did it see a resurgence as a place for Yahweh now after the split? Or how would you, that's a good question. I guess I never really thought about that being the place of the tabernacle. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd have to do more research it, uh, on it myself to give a, a very exact, but my first response is, um, even though um, obviously it was God's will, for uh, you know the the center of, of worship for Yahweh to be in Jerusalem, um, you know he he did how should I say wink 
as some of these other places uh, that were set up as as, as <laughs> long as long as the worship remains faithful. Uh, mm-hmm. faithful. And and we do know that uh, Ahijah was a, a, a faithful prophet of God, uh, in contrast to the, 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 you know, counterfeit sites that were set up by Jeroboam, where, where, where they actually, you know, brought in idols of pagan deities and did horrible uh, practices and things like that. That was not going on uh, at Shiloh. And so you, know, you do have uh, Ahijah, who's at least uh, a representative uh, of what it means to be a true prophet of God who's who's loyal uh, to his word. Yeah, and, that, and that's probably the best we can say, because part of that we just don't know. But it definitely does right. not become like the new central place of Yahweh for the Israelites oh, no. or something. But it would definitely is something to remember that um, just because it was a holy place in the past doesn't mean it continues to be. But like you said, kind of like a God wink. I guess I don't really know how to say it either. Um, he shows up there. Why? Because he's God, and uh, he reigns on high, and he can do that. <laughs> That's probably yeah, a good way to say it. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And another thing, too, you have to realize at that time, you know, uh, things in the southern kingdom in Jerusalem were not good either. Uh, Rehoboam was hardly godly, as we're going to find out. And right. and so uh, it wasn't like uh, Ahijah would, would, would get a warm welcome there either. <laughs> he, right. they, you know, he, he probably uh, wasn't... Uh, 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 how shall I say, uh, uh, a very favorite uh, guest in that area because he probably rebuked them as well. And, and so that might be one reason why Ahijah is hanging out at Shiloh at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, one thing I wanted to highlight, when you look at these verses, one of the, it says here on verse uh, 10, and they will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Clearly, he is showing the depth of sin among them. But also, kind of you said so well, that it's, it's when, you, when you separate us from Christ, that's kind of our reality. The wages of sin is death. And it's not just that you yes. die, but there's, no, there's, there's shame. There's, there's, just, there, there's nothing holy about this. This is who we are outside of Christ. It's very, how you call it, it's very gross, I guess you'd say, very just uh, in-your-face type of language, but it shows us the seriousness of sin and obviously the seriousness of grace. Any any last thoughts on those first verses we've gone through? No, I, I'm, I'd like to say more, but if we're going to get through, I think we have to move on. <laughs> we better move forward. Okay, verses 12, and we'll go all the way through 20. Verses 12 all the way through 20. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only, he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave. Because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them between the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. And as she came to the threshold of the house, 
the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, are they are written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Israel. Now the time that Jeroboam reigned was twenty-two years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. These, these words are very much so almost a grieving word. You almost can feel Jeroboam's wife as she received this news, and then she had to travel the distance from Shiloh to Terza, and you can just almost, I almost, when I read this, felt the grief that she would have felt. Now, obviously, I don't know the grief myself, but she knows that the moment her, her foot steps right there, that is where her child will die. I can't imagine those emotions and feelings that she would be having at that time. What are your thoughts on these verses? Yeah, well, you know, it's just one of those uh, situations. I mean, you ache with them. We, we should never take pleasure in anybody's misfortune. Um, and and uh, uh, and yet, you know, uh, this is just happening exactly as the prophet said it would. How do you respond when, when oh, I often, you know, think about this in my own life or other li- people's lives, when, when it seems like God has given us tragedy? Uh, you know, this woman was specifically told, sorry, I know you want your boy to live, but he's not, you know. And yeah. the response, the only response to that finally has to be, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, we think of Job. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at that point, uh, the only thing we can do is respond in repentance and faith, because that's the only hope we have. If we're going to get angry and, and say, like, no fair God, you had no right to do this to me, so I'm going to harden my heart against you, you know, then then you lose any hope you do have. But, but when we respond uh, to God's chastisement with repentance and faith, there, at least in the midst of the tragedy, that there is hope of restoration. And that, and, and that's why when he continues to go down this list of what's going to happen, it shows that you know the wages of sin that that overcome us, the wages of of the uh, consequences of our sin. We talk about the close of the commandments, so that the sins follow us, and if we walk in the same way, this is our. Um, demise. This is a reality for us right. as well. And so she, it wasn't just that Job, Jeroboam sinned, it's just that others were following in that footsteps, and you can feel it um, in his whole family. And then he just, he he goes. I mean, he's gone. I mean, the, the legacy mm-hmm. is is not a good one, and it ends. I, I, I really felt, and I feel this with Rehoboam as well, but Jeroboam is just kind of a a sad, sad story. Any, I, I'm grieving. So go ahead. What do you have in these verses or Jeroboam? Well, a couple, a couple other things. First of all, you know, I, I, I don't want to steal the thunder from future programs, but it's interesting as you go on in First Kings, every time it mentions a new king of Israel, it, 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 of course, you never do get a good repentant king after this yeah, in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but every time it's like, and, and they continued in the footsteps of Jeroboam, and they right. continued in the footsteps of Jeroboam. You know, you hear that over and over again. And, and so it's almost like, okay, Jeroboam laid this foundation, and, and sadly, it, it set the stage for Israel's demise. And um, I find it very interesting, verse 14, when it says, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. I can't help but read that without thinking that that here God is actually alluding in a in a very mysterious way to who who is Israel's real and true king, God Himself. 
we ascended Christ. <laughs> you know, um, and, 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 and the real king of Israel, who reigns over all creation, sadly will, will bring uh, the, the, the fallen kings of Israel uh, to judgment. And we know that happens ultimately, you know, we, we see this working itself out in history, but we, we see this finally uh, come to fruition, sadly, when, when in the future God uses Assyria uh, to completely, you know, devastate mm. the northern kingdom and take many into exile. And that's when this prophecy against Jeroboam and his kingdom finally, sadly, comes to fruition. But, but uh, I think when it refers to the, the king uh, over Israel, it's ultimately referring to, hey, there's always only been one king over God's people, and that's right. the Lord Yahweh, and and he will bring unfaithful kings to their knees. The faithful prophet, priest, and king that will come for yeah. you. I will. There, there was a, there's a dab of grace in here. And during seminary, I remember our uh, Dr. Rohrwald would always tell us, where's the dab of grace um, when we look at this, and what, where it comes is when his son dies, it tells us yeah. that he will see the grave, you know, because in him found is something pleasing to the Lord. And I don't really know how we break down that completely, but the dab of grace is that this child will be buried. Everyone else will be put out like eaten by dogs and birds, but this son mm-hmm. will be the one to be placed um, in the grave. And, you know, I don't want to make too much of a, a Christ centered on that, but we do see the dab of grace that our Lord had right. upon Jeroboam and especially his wife to have a proper burial. Any, any other thoughts? Yes. And, you know, it, it, we, again, we have, we want to make sure we don't read too much into this, but it talks about how God said, uh, your son, who's going to die. He, he's the only one in whom I found anything good. And I think it's important to remember here. He, he's not talking about how well, some people are better than others and therefore worthy of, no, that's not what God's getting at. Uh, It means that, that, you know, we don't know all the details, but apparently there was a spark of repentance and faith in this boy. Um, You know, in the midst of, in the midst of all this paganism, there there was someone with uh, a mustard seed of faith in the one true God and, and God can work with that. And, uh, and uh, even in our own culture where things seem to be going from bad to worse, you know, there's a remnant. And uh, God in his mercy, uh, you know, works with that. So that, that's that dab of grace you're talking about. Absolutely. So we go from Jeroboam, like you said, they followed in his footsteps. Now we'll go to Rehoboam. And so we'll see how this turns out for us today. So let us read 21 through 24. Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. His mother's name was Namah and the Ammonite, and Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, provoked him to jealousy with their sins, that they committed more than all that their father had, fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there was also a male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to their own abominations of the nations that the Lord Yahweh drove out before the people of Israel. Now here's, a, here's a little reflection before I hear your thoughts, because I want to hear your thoughts. When you go through First Kings, there's a little bit of 
uh, we try to find a spark of hope. And sometimes the spark of hope is, well, Judah tends to be better than Israel. Um, you know, it's, it, it, do we really want to split those hairs? I don't think I want to. But I remember going through the reading the whole Bible one time in our congregation here. And one of the comments made was like, well, you know, Israel was Israel was it was bad. But Judah, you know, but Judah seemed to be a little bit better. But right now, when I read this, that does not sound like Judah is doing any better than Israel. No. Any thoughts no. on these verses? Yeah. The only reason <laughs> Judah, the only reason Judah, at least uh, historically, has a few glimmers of light is only because, uh, you know, by the mercy and grace of God, they get a, a handful of kings that, that are repentant and, and, and point the people back to Christ. So, mm-hmm. so if Judah does better than Israel, it's not because Judah themselves were, were such good people. It's because God in his mercy uh, allowed his light to shine on them and, and give them opportunity to come to repentance and faith. And so uh, any, any good that happened to and through Judah was, was all God's doing, and, and he gets the glory. Um, so it's not like the, the people of Judah can say, well, um, you know, sure, we've messed up here and there, but we're, at least we're not like those people in Israel. We're, mm-hmm. we're, 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 have, we're decent chaps, and that's why God is, is, is uh, <laughs> merciful to us. No, as you see here, uh, under an ungodly king, Rehoboam, Judah is capable of uh, as many ugly, sinful atrocities as Israel. And, and, and the only way it changes down the road is, is, is because of a couple kings here and there that God uses to, to set things right, at least for a time. Any other thoughts from those verses? It's it's pretty um, provocative of what's actually happening in Judah. But any other reflections? Just the the, the fact of all the pagan uh, uh, idols and uh, uh, the false worship. Uh, we, we have to remember we're, we're facing the same challenges in our world today, where where not only do we have a lot of uh, 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 false non-Christian religions vying for people's hearts in, in our nation, but even churches, and, and I think this is very relevant, you know, th- this is Judah uh, uh, where, in Jerusalem where, where the temple of Yahweh is. This is supposed to be the center of truth, and in, in Yahweh's name, they have compromised everything. And I think how in, in our own day, uh, we had people who claim the name of Christ, and yet are doing and teaching things that are in direct contradiction from his word. And so we, we see the same thing going on today. And, and so, again, our need to, to read this and realize, wow, uh, we're facing the same evils. And, and the only response is repentance and faith in God and, and begging him to help us to remain steadfast in his word. In verse 23, I thought this was very interesting is that they built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And and it reminds me of a quote that I heard, I believe it's a Luther quote, where it says, the heart is an idle factory. That you really can't, you can't even go under a green tree without finding an idol. You can't go to any hill without finding an idol. And for us in our own lives, you can't go a few steps without seeing an idol that we want to make in our own hearts. And so this, everything flows through the first commandment, that this is true for them. And it and it points us, I think, very clearly that there is no hope without the Lord Yahweh here. And it relates to us. There is no hope without our Lord Jesus ascending on high in our world today. Any other reflections on that? Quite fascinating. 
Um, just that, and I'm glad you mentioned the ascension again, because in the midst of all this, this horrible stuff, the, the one glimmer of hope in all of this is that God still reigns. Uh, Yahweh's still on his throne. And, and, and really, the, what is the whole Bible, really? It's Yahweh on a mission to save us from ourselves. Uh, mm. uh, God ultimately wants to rescue his people. You think of what the angel said to Joseph, you know, name the baby Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And, and so in the midst of all this bleak <laughs> uh, gloom and doom, uh, above it all, we have a God who, who wants to save sinners, and that's our hope. Well, let's continue. We have about eight minutes left of our time together, 25 through the end of chapter 14. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their places shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard, who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are, are, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with the fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama the Ammonite, and Abijam his son reigned in his place. As we look at these last verses, uh, there is one question, and I thought it was a good one, and it all depends on if you've actually done this research. I have not, but he asked about Shishak, who came from Egypt, who went up and took all of the treasures out of the house of the Lord, which I'm guessing means a temple. Um, am I correct on that, Pastor? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. He says, did it, did it take out the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to Egypt? Any thoughts? Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say one way or the other at this point. I would have to do some research to find if the ark was actually taken at this point. It doesn't mention that specifically. Um, uh, of course, we know from Indiana Jones where it actually is now. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, no, no, that's a good question. I would have to do more research to find out if, if this um, was a time when the ark actually was taken or not. But 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 we do know that many, many other precious things were taken, and they specifically mentioned these big golden shields. And, uh, uh, of, of course, uh, uh, Rehoboam has to replace them with, with uh, less glamorous uh, shields. And, 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 I, and I find it interesting, why, why does uh, the, the author of First Kings here specifically mention this? And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. okay, after this whole judgment that God brought on them through this attack from Egypt, you know, taking all these wonderful, glamorous items from the temple, and now I had to replace these golden shields with bronze ones. You know, every time uh, Rehoboam would go to the temple and have to see these, you know, ugly-looking bronze shields, it was a reminder to him, you know, another call to repentance. It's like, okay, um, you know, God is in control. Uh, do what you may to try to, to hang on, you know, to, to all these, you know, glittery things that, that – that bring so much vanity to you and your reign. And look at God's taken them away. It's another reminder to him 
to you know this this is what I am without God uh, you know uh, you know the, the, there's nothing I can ultimately hang on to um, uh, except God Himself and that only comes through repentance and faith. Verse 28, as it says, And as often as a king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. Just as that constant reminder of where are we, where we need our hearts to turn to, which is to the Lord, obviously, once again. Now, we, we, as we look at these stories of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, it is a, it is a very large reminder of Solomon had everything. In First Kings chapter yeah. ten, Queen of Sheba thought he was the the greatest of greatest. He was the one that we want to be like. And within four chapters, everything had basically fallen apart. The kingdom had divided. Yeah. Everything is there. As we go through these last about four minutes here, Pastor, what does this mean for us today? And what what implications as we look at the gospel as well? Well, first of all, when, when you think of how well Solomon started out and then, you know, really strayed and fell, um, you know, it's a reminder to us, too, to be humble before God. I think of Paul's words in, in 1 Corinthians, you know, take heed ye who think you stand, lest you fall. You know, mm. um, uh, just when we think that, that you know, we're beyond uh, sinning and and somehow are, are, are uh, beyond uh, being tempted— uh, that's exactly when we need to fall on our knees and, and say, God, you know, be merciful to me. Uh, apart from you, I cannot uh, be faithful. And, um, and, and just like there were many things in the world, you know, sadly, even though God had blessed Solomon with uh, prosperity, uh, uh, sadly, Solomon ended up worshiping the gift rather than the giver. Mm-hmm. And, and that can happen to us. I mean, we think of how, how blessed we are in America. I mean, we are living in an anomaly, uh, Brady. I mean, no one in the history of the world has known the prosperity and the pleasure uh, that we know right now in America. Um, uh, We really have it good compared to people throughout the history of the world. Uh, And yet, you know, this is not our hope. You know, we we, we need to remember that God is our refuge and strength, and, and it could all be taken away. Uh, you know, obviously, I have children and grandchildren. I, I don't want America to tank, but we we we, we dare not uh, trust in America as though, well, we're God's darling. Nothing bad would ever happen to us because you know we're we're God's favorite. No, uh, this is a reminder to us that 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 you know God doesn't play favorites, and and we need to all come to Him every day as broken sinners who live only by His grace through His Son. One of the interesting insights. And, and I've highlighted this, and I want to keep highlighting it because, as you know, Pastor, in our in our work and for you, our listeners, that you all have people that you know that were in the faith and are no longer. Um, those who just either that or just someone who's just never believed who you dearly love. And, and it, it points us to two realities. Number one, Solomon, who saw all these riches towards the end of his life, you know, writes Ecclesiastes. He writes the Proverbs. And he says, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, meaninglessness. And, and it, it points us to that reality of if, our, if we're trusting in the name of Rehoboam or Jeroboam or whatever name you want to say that is not the name of Jesus, um, everything just falls apart. And for us, it leads us to prayer, to understanding of our own, that when Solomon prayed for wisdom, something else that we kind of wish he would have prayed for was faith. And that's what we pray for. 
our own faith and the faith of others. Because we yeah. grieve as the um, as Jeroboam's wife walked home knowing that the first step she took, that her son would die. We grieve in that way when we see people who do not believe. And that's what I felt in today's text, um, is for us to pray as our Lord ascended on high. And if he's ascending on high, then Lord have mercy, why are we not praying more? Pastor, we have about 30 seconds left here. What are your last thoughts on today's text? Just to end on hope, you know, uh, uh, we, we look at those kingdoms and all the horrible things, and we think of the horrible things going on today, and yet we do have a king who reigns, uh, Jesus, and he, he is ultimately a gracious king. He, he wants to save sinners, and, and, and in him we have eternal hope. You know, that, that's the, the dab of grace today. Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, helping us in God's strong word in 1 Kings chapter 14. Pastor Eckstein, it is an honor, and thank you again for being our guest. Yeah, my privilege. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, this Ascension Day, we know that our Lord reigns on high. We see the brokenness of all people and ask that he would reign with grace, that he would once again fill us with the Holy Spirit for us to stay strong in faith, love, and hope. And we don't look to Jeroboam or Rehoboam or his other people for our hope, but we look to the Lord who's seated at the right hand of God and brings his grace upon you. We can still say it, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, Alleluia. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.